Welcome to the Wear Wag Repeat Podcast. I'm Tori Mystic. As a dog mom lifestyle expert, blogger, and business owner, I love talking to other women in the pet industry and sharing their advice with you every week. Sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. Hello and welcome to another solo episode of the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. I'm your host, Tori Mystic, and today I have an episode prepared for you all about creating merch for your pet brand. We're just coming off of a really great five-day challenge that I did with many of you who might be listening right now about how to create an on-demand product for pet lovers. This was the second time that I hosted that challenge, and it's always really fun to see what people create and how it kind of gets their creative wheels turning, whether they end up creating one product, an entire store of stuff, or if they end up creating nothing at all. I still think it's really fun to kind of do a a creative exercise like that. Uh, And so I want to continue the conversation with this episode today and give you some more information about creating merch for your pet brand. Maybe you weren't able to go through the challenge or maybe you just want to keep the momentum going and learning about it. I, of course, will also mention my masterclass, how to launch an on-demand online store for pet lovers. That masterclass is full of all kinds of information to help you set up an entire store if you're interested in doing that. I also really wanted to make sure this episode comes out now because it's the perfect time of year to set this all up because we are going into the holiday season. There's all kinds of people out there looking for gifts and looking to support your small business. And so you have to kind of give them something giftable that they can buy. And this is a really great way to do that. But before we get into uh, the kind of educational business side of this episode, I do want to share a little bit of dog stuff today. Usually when I do a solo episode, we talk all business and no dog. And I was just thinking about that. When I interview someone, I always talk to them about their pets. And that's usually my favorite part of the episode because it's when they really open up and get excited and share really personal stuff. And I love that. And so today I'm going to share a little bit of of dog stuff. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start with with the good part and then I'll I'll tell you about what I'm struggling with right now today. And so the, the good part first is that over the weekend I did a barn hunt with Bert. This is a pretty niche dog sport that we've gotten into. I have to give a shout out to Jen Sotolongo at Long Haul Truckers. I think that her Instagram might have been the first place that I found out about Barn Hunt or or started to think, what is Barn Hunt? Uh, and, and so it's a really fun kind of scent work dog sport. And what what really sold me on it for Bert, well, first of all, he's excellent at finding things in the woods. And I really wanted to find a hobby that he and I could do together because Lucy and I already have so many things. We go paddle boarding. She does therapy dog stuff. She does her tricks. Um, she does have a, a trick dog certification at like the novice, most basic level. So she's got a lot of things that we do together. And I wanted something just for me and Bert. And so that appealed to me for Barn Hunt. But then 
And this ties into business stuff. It's This is how important your website is. I, I went to the website for Barn Hunt and read about the history of it and how it was created. It was created by some, some woman uh, who her dogs weren't able to do other dog sports because um, of breed restrictions or something like that. So she decided to create this that any dog could do. And one of my favorite things that sealed the deal for me on this website was on the about page, it said, Barn Hunt is the fastest growing dog sport in America. And then there was a little asterisk. And I went down to the bottom of the page to see what the asterisk said. And I'm totally paraphrasing, and maybe I've changed my memory of this in in my imagination. (laughs) But according to my memory, the asterisk at the bottom said, "Um, I mean, like, we haven't done any kind of, like, study. I'm just saying that there's a huge potential for growth. And I just freaking love that. I I love I love the you know the audacity. This came up in an episode with um with Sonia from um, Huskies in the Hatch a while ago. We were just talking about how having the audacity has kind of been uh, created as this like negative thing. You know, I, I can't believe he had the audacity to say that. You know, but we were talking about kind of reclaiming that audacity and saying yes, this is the fastest growing dog sport in America, or yes, my dog is the most well-liked Instagram dog in Pittsburgh, or whatever it is that you want to say, uh, go ahead and have the audacity because, you know, it just, it's it's the power of suggestion and um, and it gets people excited and it just kind of makes it fun. So so do it in a fun and lighthearted way, but that's, that's kind of the short roundabout story of how we got into Barn Hunt. And so Bert had his second official barn hunt trial on Saturday, and I was really excited about it. I signed him up for four runs. One was called Crazy Eights. One was the um, Instinct, which is the most basic level, and then two novice runs. And that's the order that he was signed up to do them in. And I was really, really excited about the Crazy Eights round because that's when they have the opportunity to find eight rat tubes in the course. If you're not familiar with Barn Hunt, it's all about finding the rat tubes hidden in the straw bales. And Bert's really good at it. So I thought, oh, this is going to be so great. He's going to have the chance to find eight rats. So we go in the ring. Uh, The judge says, you may begin. So I take Bert's collar off and say, go ahead, go search. He finds one rat in two seconds. And then Two seconds later, he peed in the course on the hay bale, <laughs> and we were immediately disqualified and escorted out of the ring. <laughs> so I, I'm laughing about it now, but I was really very upset and devastated about it at the time. Um, but you know what? We had three more chances, and we we went through Um didn't succeed two more times. And then the last chance that we had, the fourth run of the day, Bert ended up having the fastest time in that round. And he ended up getting first place in that round. He also was the fastest large dog. So he got high in class as well. And we walked away with three ribbons from that event. So it was really exciting and just, I think, a great lesson of, um, you know, you can totally fail. You could try something new and you could fail at it and then you could go on to succeed pretty soon thereafter. Um, so that was that was really great. Um, 
so that that's the exciting stuff. That's what's going on with Bert. And then with Lucy, uh, she I, I noticed um, on like maybe five days ago or so that she just seemed a little bit stiff. And I, I'm always very worried about Lucy developing arthritis. My old dog, Lola, had very bad arthritis and was limping and had a really hard time getting around towards the end of her days. And so I'm always just so worried about Lucy developing arthritis as well. And I obsessively research uh, supplements and foods and, and diets and massages and acupuncture and all the different things we can do to kind of prevent this or, um, you know, make it less painful, reduce the inflammation. But I was noticing over the weekend that she was stiffer and it was so subtle. And this is, you know, I just think it's so important that we pay attention and we speak up as advocates for our dogs because it's just so subtle how she was limping. And I just noticed that her back right leg was just kind of stiff. And so I was trying to take videos so that whenever we can get into the vet, because right now it's very difficult to get vet appointments no matter where you are in the country. Uh, And so we have actually our annual vet appointment coming up conveniently in about two weeks. So we'll have that. And I was trying to take videos to show the vet. And it was even hard to capture a video because it was just so subtle. But I couldn't stop fixating on the fact that I thought something was up with her back right leg. And I pointed it out to someone at the park and they said, yeah, she looks a little bit stiff. And, and I, I came home and I was kind of massaging her, her foot and her ankle and her leg. And I started to realize that her back right foot kind of like from the paw pad up to the joint there, like her ankle, I guess you would call that, that little straight part there is very uh, like thick. And it feels to me as though there is maybe like inflammation there for sure. I don't know if there's like some kind of a mass but it just feels different than her other leg. It looks like puffy, but it's not squishy. So then, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, for telling you all this dog stuff today. I know it's not what you tuned in for, but but I know you get it, right? Um, so today, I, I'm preparing to record this episode all about creating merch for your pet brand. And um, one of my very first episodes, episode three, of the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. This is episode 189. So back on episode three, I interviewed two sisters who run a brand called Beatrix and Midge. And I loved talking to them, but I haven't really kept in touch that much since then. I see them a little bit on on social media here and there. But I went to their website just to see what they were up to now. And I saw that their Bernie's Mountain Dog Beatrix, um, it said, you know, update on Beatrix. And I, and I clicked on it to see, you know, what the update was. And it turned out that Beatrix had osteosarcoma. And that's like a cancer of, of the bone or of the joint, I guess. And she had had to have her leg amputated. And so, of course, I am like, oh my God, I, I bet you that's what ha- is happening to Lucy. And, and I Googled it and I, I picked up, um, I just got the forever dog from Dr. Karen Becker. And so I went immediately to the index of that to see if 
She mentions osteosarcomas, um, and, and I didn't see a reference to it in the index, but I did read up a little bit on um, how she recommends green-lipped muscles to help with osteoarthritis. So I'll be going to the store after this to pick up some more green-lipped muscle. Um, and so anyhow, I just wanted to, I just needed to get this off my chest and talk to you guys and see maybe if anyone listening has any experience with what I'm talking about. Um with I, d- I don't know if it's an osteosarcoma. This is just my, you know, mad Googling and going down the rabbit hole <laughs> with that. So we'll have to wait and see. Lucy will go to the vet soon. Um, I was hoping to get her in for acupuncture as well, but that first appointment available is not until December 1st. So it's really, really hard to get into the vet these days. So hopefully whatever's going on with my Lucy Goose she will be able to wait until <laughs> we can get in to the vet. And in the meantime, I'll keep doing what I can do with supplements and um, maybe I'll put a little bit of, of heat on it to help soothe the inflammation and stiffness in her joint um, and we'll see. But if you have any experience or advice, I would really appreciate if you would reach out to me and, and share that with me. It would be really great. Maybe I can even, um, when I find out more after the vet, I can do a blog post and we can help lots of pet parents together. Um, Okay. So now (laughs) this is a podcast about pet business, right? So uh, now that I've talked about what's going on with my dogs in our own lives, I do want to really talk to you about creating merch for your pets. This seems like such a jump in conversation, but it's what I plan to talk about today. And actually, you know, in in researching it and seeing the news about Beatrix, the Bernie's Mountain Dog, um, I guess I really was meant to talk about this today because it's it's exposed me to, to some interesting things about the dogs. So in the time that we have left in this episode, we're um, I've already been talking for about half of our time, but in the time that we have left, we will talk about creating merch for your pet brand. So I'm going to first talk to you about who it's good for, what kind of pet brands can benefit from this, how to produce your merch. There are, as always, with everything, many different options. I'll discuss a little bit of the creative side because with merch, there's a lot of tech involved, but there's also a lot of creativity involved. So let's talk about that as well. Then I will tell you about some different ways that you can sell your merch online. That's the tech part of it, really. And then let's wrap it up by sharing um, how to promote your merch, how to keep the buzz going, and how to build lasting customer relationships. Of course, a lot of this stuff you can also find in my masterclass, How to Launch an On-Demand Online Store for Pet Lovers. If you just go to wherewagrepeat.com slash courses, you will find it listed there and you can learn all about setting up your own on-demand online store. So what kind of pet businesses is this good for? Um, merch and products are kind of interchangeable words. I, I've recently started using the word merch to describe the kind of things that I sell. Um, and I think it's a good word to describe like t-shirts, coffee mugs, tote bags, all that kind of stuff 
that that you might make with print on demand or, or even ordering your own custom bulk items. So I think that this can be a really good extra revenue stream for a lot of pet businesses. It can also just be a really good marketing tool. Uh, you can use it as a fundraiser for your dog hobby or for animal rescue or all kinds of different things. So if you're an influencer or a pet blogger, It's a really great way to um, put your logo or whatever your branding or some creative phrase or graphic on products to sell to your fans and followers. For pet sitters and walkers and groomers and pet treat makers, I think that that products and merch can be really, really great for you to make uh, as things that you yourself where while you're working, you can make things for your staff to wear while they're working, but you can also make products that your customers might want to buy to support you. Um, or you can make really cool things that don't really have your logo anywhere on them, but they're just a cool message or a cool graphic or design that resonates with you and your customers, and they might want to buy it as gifts for themselves or their friends. So you guys could totally create merch and products. I also think it's a really great option for dog walking or breed clubs, like um, talking about Beatrix and Midge. Maybe you love Bernese Mountain Dogs, or maybe you're really into Italian Greyhounds or Labradors or Golden Retrievers or whatever it is. You could create special products and t-shirts and merch just for your club. Um, with Lucy and I, you know, we we are a therapy dog team together and we're part of a kind of informal club called the Therapy Dogs of Pittsburgh. But we have t-shirts. Um, Therapy Dogs of Pittsburgh has some cool t-shirts. They'll, um, they did a round where they had three or four of the different dogs in the group, like an illustration, a little line drawing of those dogs printed on shirts. And it was just a really fun way to show that we were all part of this club together. I also really want to encourage you, if you are a part of any niche dog sports like barn hunt or fast cat or even dock diving or anything like that, you should totally look into making merch for that sport because there are not a lot of options available. Yet, when you go to these events, people are going to want to buy whatever it is because they're really into it. Um, whatever, I, you know, I, I'm still kind of new to the world of dog sports, but I do think that whoever is there, they're really into that thing. It's not just like a casual... <laughs> a casual interest. They've spent hours and years training and prepping and attending events and all that kind of stuff. And so they're really invested in it and they might be interested in buying some unique merch about their favorite dog sport. So if you fit any of those descriptions or if any of that resonated with you, you might be a really good candidate to make some merch for your pet brand. So let's talk about how you would actually produce this merch. There's there's many different options, but today I'm going to kind of compare buying in in bulk and having stuff locally screen printed or or produced in some way versus print on demand and kind of like the pros and cons of those two different approaches. So first of all, storage. When you buy stuff in bulk, you might order a hundred t-shirts and have them all printed with your design, you're going to have to store those somewhere, whether it's at your 
office or your shop or in your house, (laughs) you're going to have to store all of those somewhere. And especially if you're in the pet industry, you're going to have to find a way to store those where they're not getting a lot of dog hair (laughs) or drool or just dog scents on them. So you're going to make sure you have a really safe, secure, clean place to store all of your beautiful printed out merch. Um, if you're doing print on demand, you don't have to store stuff. So that's kind of the perk and why I'm always pushing people to do that because, um, in my online store, I, uh, started about three years ago and I started with just, um, just a few different items. I had candles, cards, and collars. That's what I started off with. And then I expanded to this print on demand because I found that storing the inventory and shipping it all out and managing all of that was a lot more time consuming than I anticipated. And so that's why I transitioned into print on demand. And now I do more print on demand than I do physical inventory products because it's just so much easier. Now, another really cool thing about print-on-demand in terms of pros and cons versus um, printing stuff in bulk is customization. Printful, which is the print-on-demand service that I use, Printful now has tons of options where customers can customize their products. So nowadays in the pet world, people always want to have their particular pet's name or their an illustration of their actual pet or their Instagram name or something like that on their products. Well, now in Printful, you can set it up so that you might have like a basic design to start off with, but then underneath people can customize it. So it would say like Lucy's mom or Bert's mom or something like that. And that's something that you cannot do when you are printing stuff in bulk. So just a little pro and con there. Now, on the flip side, buying stuff in bulk and having it all screen printed at once is going to give you a much higher profit margin. So when we're talking about profit margin, that's how much something costs versus what you're selling it for. And in my experience, when I used to have shirts um, printed in bulk for one of my old clients that I worked for, we would print about 120 t-shirts and they would end up costing, I think, six or seven dollars a piece total. That included the t-shirt and the printing of them and also the delivery of them to us. So six or seven dollars per shirt. And then we would give them out to our, our members and they could sell them themselves for um, $21 or $29 or whatever it was that we figured out. So it was a pretty good, it was a really great profit margin. With print on demand, a t-shirt might cost $16 um, or $14 or something like that to be printed and fulfilled and sent to the customer and all that kind of stuff, um, shipping would actually be in addition to that. So that's just kind of leave that off to the side. Don't think about that just yet. But the shirt might cost $14 or $16. So if you price it, you're going to want to price it at like $28 or $32 so that you are doubling it, so that you are making some kind of profit. Um, but again, it's not going to be anywhere close to the kind of profit you could have when you're buying stuff in bulk. So that's another thing to consider with how you are producing your merch. If you want to hear a little bit more about how you can use your merch to give back to charity, to use your profits to give back to charity, go back and listen to episode 141. I talked to Stacey Bianco. 
Her, her passion for assistance dogs led her to create an online shop called The Good Dog Cause. And she has a really great, very like design conscious aesthetic brand that she's filled with products to raise money to fund assistance dog programs. And on that episode, we talk all about what she does. She uses Printful and Printify, and she links it all up. I I believe she has a Shopify store, um, and she uses all of those products to raise money for assistance dogs programs. So definitely go check that out. But that is why it is important to price your products for profit so that not only can you make money, but then if you want to give back to animal rescues or other dog causes, you can do so. In my masterclass, there is a lesson about pricing that will give you a lot more information and actually break down the numbers so that you can really grasp this and you can price your products so that you make money and you can also give back to the causes that you care about. So again, if you want to check out that course, it is open for enrollment. And if you have any questions, just let me know. So that's kind of the tech side the money side, the pros and cons of of what kind of system you're going to use to print your products. But let's talk about the creative side because you really can't even go into production until you have some kind of a graphic or a design or something to use to print. You cannot you can't just print something out of thin air. <laughs> You need an actual design. Even if it is just text, you are going to need some kind of a file of a graphic that you can upload to print on everything. So for me, with all of my products, it's really important to me to create stuff that's really unique. I think that there are a lot of people out there already putting simple phrases like dog mom on t-shirts and they're kind of already got that locked down and I don't want to compete with them. I would rather do my own thing. And as someone who has kind of an arts and fashion background, I love to partner with artists to create really cool original artwork that I can license from them to print on my merchandise. So that's a really important keyword I want to make sure that you pay attention to is licensing. So whenever you are working with an artist or a graphic designer to create something to put on your products, you want to make sure that you are licensing that artwork that gives you the legal right to um, print that intellectual property on your products and sell them for profit. There's a lot of different usage rights out there. So sometimes you might have something that allows you to use something non-commercially for personal use. So you could use that to print like gifts for your family or artwork for your own home or something like that. But that kind of a usage license does not give you the right to print artwork on items that you're going to be selling commercially for profit. So you just want to make sure that whatever artist you're working for, or if you're buying graphics from someplace like the Creative Marketplace, I think that's what it's called, um, or Fiverr or anything else like that, you want to make sure that you have the correct usage license that permits you to use that artwork in a commercial way and for profit. Because again, remember, you do want to profit off of these things. And even if you're not profiting, uh, it still would be commercial use. So you might as well price it so that you do profit (laughs) because you're going to have to pay uh, a little bit of a premium to have the license for that. 
I find artists, people always ask me, how do I find artists? I recently worked with someone on Fiverr. It was a little bit of a process because um, I didn't know them at all. And there seemed to be a little bit of loss of communication somewhere in there. Typically, I will find artists through Etsy or Spoonflower, which is a fabric marketplace, but you can reach out to the designers there personally if you want. I also look on Instagram all the time and try and find artists. uh, And then I'll ask them if they um, take custom commissions or license their work or anything like that. So, So those are a few ideas. So once you have figured out how you're going to make your products, whether it's printing them in bulk and screen printing or using print on demand to do digital printing. Once you have figured that out and once you have acquired your creative assets like your graphic or your text design or your logo or whatever it is, you're going to have to actually sell it. So going back to the tech side of things, how are you going to actually sell this? Um, How are you going to collect the money and get it sent to the person in the mail, all the shipping and all that kind of stuff? How are you going to do that? Well, I go into a ton more detail about this in the masterclass. I have info there on how to set up all of the integrations between Printful and Shopify and Etsy and WooCommerce and all the different things. But basically, what you need is you need some kind of a website. You can use your own website and you could put in a plugin like WooCommerce or um, Shopify has something now called Shopify Lite that you can put on your website. You could also create an Etsy shop just for your products. Um, and if you don't want to mess with any of that, you could look into another option, something like Teespring or Redbubble. Those are actually platforms that do print on demand, but let you sell your products right there on their platform. So you don't have to set up your own storefront at all. I think the profit margin might be slightly slightly worse <laughs> when you do it that way. Um, but again, it is you're paying for that ease that you don't have to set up your own store. So you can you can look into those options as well. Um, and, and something else that I do want to mention, if you are going to go the other route, if you want to do stuff where you're you're printing it in bulk, something that I might recommend that you do is to take pre-orders. Because if you're going to take the risk to put the investment in to order 100 t-shirts or 200 t-shirts or coffee mugs or whatever it is, you want to have some kind of assurance that people are going to buy it and um, that you're not going to have to completely eat that cost if it turns out to be a total flop. So if you're going to go that route, I would recommend that you try experimenting with pre-orders. A lot of times we do polls online and say, would you buy this? Would you buy that? Um, And I I do recommend that you do that with your customers to kind of gauge their interest on on what would be popular and what wouldn't. But ultimately, those those informal Instagram polls are not going to tell you exactly who is going to buy it. So when you do pre-orders, you can at least um, have some kind of an assurance that someone is going to buy your merchandise and at least will help you cover your costs uh, when you are printing stuff in bulk and give you a little bit of cash flow. So so those are some ideas on how to sell it. Um, Either setting up some kind of integration with your own website, using Shopify, using Etsy, or taking pre-orders, which you can do through all of those things as well. 
So if you want to go back in time and hear an episode about me just starting my online store and some of the frustrations and lessons that I learned at the beginning, specifically related to Shopify, (laughs) you can go back to episode 25. I know that's a long time ago. You can go back in the archives. You can also always go to wherewagrepeat.com slash podcast, and you can go back in the archives and find episode 25 to hear about how I decided to start that shop and what it was like at the very beginning. Obviously, I have learned a lot in three plus years of doing this, and and now the shop has become more of like a merch shop than a standalone store. Uh, I did experiment with carrying more inventory, and I was ordering new merchandise from um, like Wholesale Pet or Fair.com, and I was always looking for new things. But it was really hard to keep up with. And especially during the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic, I kind of lost steam because there were so many shipping delays and just kind of just issues. It was hard to even go to my post office. And I just kind of lost steam with it, to be perfectly honest with you guys. So now I am selling off the physical inventory that I still have left. And I'm continuing to produce new inventory for my best sellers. So since my store has been open for over three years, I've been able to really look at the data and see what do people actually buy. And it turns out what they buy are my candles and my t-shirts and hoodies and long sleeve shirts and that kind of stuff. Those are the most popular things for me in my store. So I have kind of gotten out of uh, buying stuff wholesale. I was buying toys and treats and all kinds of stuff. And now I just focus on what I'm good at, what I like to do, and what people like to buy. Uh, and so I, I do my candles with a local candle maker, and then my t-shirts are fulfilled through Printful. I also love to be able to use my shop for giveaways and as products that I can donate to fundraisers for animal rescue. So um, even though my store is is really, I would consider it more merch than like a whole standalone store these days, I really do like having it. And um, it's I think it's a really great asset. It is a great way that I can diversify my revenue and have kind of like a different stream of revenue coming in. So there's a ton of perks to it. Um, even though, you know, it's, it's not all, I'm not always selling tons and tons of stuff. There are certain months when I sell more. And then with print on demand, it's just so easy because even if I'm not moving a lot of merchandise, it's not really a huge deal because I don't have it sitting around. Um, it's not taking up space and, and getting old <laughs> and dusty sitting around my house. It's all being made as people order it. So I do think that there's a huge benefit to doing that. And like I said, if you want to learn more, I have a whole masterclass about setting up your print-on-demand store for your pet business. The masterclass is four very in-depth lessons, and you can watch it all in one sitting if you want, but it will take a few weeks to implement everything because I encourage you to order product samples and that kind of stuff. So if you want to learn more about that, just go to wherewagrepeat.com slash courses. You can always send me a DM or reach out on Instagram or via email, and I would be happy to answer your questions. So thank you guys so much for listening to this kind of hybrid episode of dog stuff and business stuff. <laughs> I know it seems like those topics didn't really go together, but um, I appreciate you listening to 
like the good parts of my dog mom life and the bad parts and then also the business parts because that's kind of all the parts, I guess. So (laughs) I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. What did you like most about this episode? Find me on Instagram at teamistic and let me know what intrigued you or what questions you have about starting or growing your own dog-inspired business. You can also screenshot this episode and tag me in your stories. I love to see who is listening out there. Some of the best conversations happen after the episode, right? So track me down over on Instagram or join the Wear, Wag, Repeat Labs Facebook group to connect with other dog-obsessed entrepreneurs. And as always, you can find all the links and resources discussed in this episode at wherewagrepeat.com slash podcast. See you back here next week.